This Sunday, known as Palm Sunday, is celebrated every year. Churches celebrate it differently. Sometimes uh, there, there's children who, who will line the, the, the aisle way with palm branches. And we did that Friday, in, or Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, that back aisle as Jesus went across and through the crowd, they laid down palm branches. But this is the Sunday that we celebrate Jesus entering into Jerusalem, the holy city, on a donkey to the adulation of the crowds. We know that story, and we know it pretty well if we've been in church for any extended period of time, but a lot of us don't know, we don't realize that long before Jesus, actually about a thousand years before he was even born, another king entered Jerusalem on a donkey to the praise of the crowds. This story uh, is in 1 Kings chapter 1, and if you have ever been guilty of saying that Scripture can, is boring, I encourage you to go and to read some of the Old Testament. 1 Kings is definitely not boring. In this story, in 1 Kings chapter 1, David the young boy that we cheered for when he picked stones up out of the riverbed and went and defeated a giant. The same young man who became a military force and, and led the people of God to amazing victories. That same David is now old and feeble and approaching death. And he is so sick he is not even able to keep himself warm in bed at night, regardless of how many bedclothes and how many blankets they put on him. Someone new is soon going to be the king over Israel, over God's people. Adonijah, one of, Je one of David's sons, wants to be that guy. So Adonijah goes and, and, and he, he creates a couple different strategic relationships. He, he pulls in a, a military leader named Joab, and he pulls in a priestly leader named Abiathar, and he gathers them and some other people together for a coronation party. He is going to name himself king over Israel. So they get together and they have this party and they are having a good old time. But Nathan the prophet, a godly prophet, learns about this. And he goes to the queen, Queen Bathsheba, and says, Hey, did you know this is going on? If you remember, David said that Solomon was going to be the next king. So Nathan and Bathsheba go to old, feeble King David, and they remind him of this. Did you know? that Adonijah is setting himself up as king? Didn't you promise that Solomon was going to be the next king over Israel? David remembered. He assented, and he said yes. He says, go and get my royal mule, and we're going to have a real parade, a real coronation. So, so David, so Adonijah's power play 
was meant to bring harm. Because if he becomes king, Bathsheba and Solomon are going to be the first two people on the new king's hit list so that they don't come back and want power and try to take power again. But more than that, it's a threat to God's promises. The Lord had promised that David, that he would have an enduring uh, presence, a royal dynasty on the throne, specifically from 1 Chronicles chapter 22, specifically through Solomon. This family crisis was life and death for Bathsheba and for Solomon, but it was also a struggle for the kingdom of God. So David affirms his plans to crown Solomon. He summons Nathan, Zadok, uh, and Benaiah, a godly prophet, a godly priest, and a godly advisor to the king. He gives his royal mule to, to Solomon, sort of an Air Force One in modern day. Right? This is special. And he parades him into Jerusalem from the Gion Spring across the Kidron Valley. Solomon was anointed and enthroned in public with a triumphant celebration. It's not a secret self-exaltation like Adonijah's private party, but God's people publicly celebrating God's king with a loud cheer. The private party that Adonijah had, right, there's a knock on the door. They hear the celebration out in the city. They wonder what's going on. So when they let this person in, they said, you're bringing good news to us, right? And he goes, ah, not exactly. Solomon was just appointed king. And you can imagine that that party quickly disbanded. Now, you can read in the, come, in the next, in chapters 2, 3, and 4 about what happened to all those guys in that secret party. Didn't end well for them. But Solomon, his entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey across the Kidron Valley by the, this guy on spring declares that he was the true king. It announces that the priestly leader, Abiathar, and all the religious leaders who followed him they were phony. It announces that the military leader Joab and all his military power aren't in charge any longer. This one, this king on a donkey is the true son of David, the true king of Israel. As a reflection of Solomon's coronation, Jesus' triumphal entry uh, into, into Jerusalem teaches us Jesus in, in Matthew chapter 21 entering that same town on a donkey was much, much less, much more humble than how Pilate and Herod would have entered that same city during these same days, during the same celebration. It was a humble entry. But Jesus' triumphal entry teaches us some things. Jesus' triumphal entry, or Solomon's triumphal entry, points the way to Jesus's. Jesus's entry teaches us and testifies to the fact that the scribes and the Pharisees and all the religious leaders who opposed Jesus, they were phonies. It, it, it says that Rome, with all of its military might, isn't in charge any longer. And anybody, including the blind, according to Matthew chapter 20, know, were able to see that Jesus was the true 
king. Here at last is the true king. Here at last is the only one worthy of our heart's worship. Jesus came, entered the city, and was a king greater than Solomon. Solomon was a great king for the most part. He was human. So, so a lot of great things happened to Israel during Solomon's reign. Uh, he got to assemble and to build the, the temple of God. David, his daddy, collected all the materials for it. Solomon got to build this majestic temple to God, where God would be with his people. The, the, the nation of Israel was at a high point during his reign. Wise men, kings, and queens from all over the known world would come to Solomon for advice. It's in, the examples of that are in, are in Scripture. But Solomon was not a perfect king. Solomon made some bad decisions. Solomon took his focus off of the one true God, the one true king. Thankfully, Jesus' kingship is unlike Solomon's in many ways. Solomon disbelieved in God and trusted in idols. Jesus never did. Even while suffocating on a cross, from, from pushing himself up and allowing himself to rest, even while suffocating on a cross, Jesus committed his spirit into his Father's hands. Solomon disbelieved God. Jesus never did. Solomon sinfully took for himself many wives to bolster his own status. Foreign wives from surrounding countries and nations so that other countries and nations would look at him and see him by worldly standards as powerful, as mighty. Uh, but Jesus gave himself up for his one true bride, the church. Solomon was polluted by idolatrous wives. Nehemiah chapter 13 gives us just one example of that. But Jesus cleansed and sanctified his bride. That, that scripture from Ephesians chapter 5, he sanctified her so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Jesus came and redeemed his one true bride. Solomon built a temple and then proceeded to lead his people to worship foreign gods. Jesus established a new temple and today remains the worship leader of his assembled people. Solomon led his people down a path to exile. Uh, he didn't lead them all the way to its doorstep, but he started the ball rolling. His sons were the ones who, who led to the divided kingdom, and then uh, the, his descendants were the ones who, who allowed themselves to be carried off by Babylon and Assyria. But Solomon started the nation down that path to exile. Jesus came and became the path to God. Jesus himself said in, uh, in John chapter 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Solomon 
led God's people astray. Jesus led them back to the Father. Solomon died, just like David died, just like Saul died, just like all other kings after them died, just like all the prophets and all the judges died and were gone forever. But Jesus came and died and walked out of a tomb, redeeming and giving everlasting life, not only for David and for Solomon and all those, but for all his royal sons and daughters that put their faith in him. So this Palm Sunday, as we assemble here together as this local body, we celebrate the triumph of the second king to ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. He enters to the praise of children and adults, unmasking all pretenders, Reminding us that he alone is worthy to sit on that throne. That he alone is worthy for our praise and for our adoration. He is the only king worth following. I'll say that again. As simple, but it has to be a powerful statement in the lives of Christians. He is the only king worth following. The one who sits enthroned in heaven must be the sole inhabitant in the throne of our hearts. He is a better king than anything that you can place in his stead. Anything that we have placed in his place. He is better than fame and fortune and power and comfort. Better than a large retirement. Better than personal freedom. Better than anything sports can give us or popularity or influence. He is better than all of those things. He is the only king in the eternal heaven. He is the only king who can usher you into that eternal kingdom and keep you there. He alone is worthy of your worship. So today... My question for you is, will today mark the day where you solely worship the one true king? Or will we continue to worship all the other gods that we have accumulated in our lives and placed on the throne of our hearts and of our lives? Now, I want to hopefully after... 14 years of being here with you, you hear me say as lovingly, but as bluntly and plainly as possible that far too often, church, we worship and we flock to the wrong parade. And we clap and we cheer and we throw energy and we throw effort and we throw adoration and we throw praise at the feet of the wrong God. We, we give precedence to anything and everything over the one who sent his son to save us. We, we, we worship the stuff given to us rather than the giver of the stuff that we get to enjoy. We celebrate all of our freedom and we elevate that freedom over the giver of the freedom. Will today mark the day where you solely worship the one true king? Will you join in the chorus that began 2,000 years ago of shouting Hosanna, Hosanna to the one 
true king. Today, I pray that today is the day that you surrender all. We just sang those words. That you surrender all to the only king worth surrendering to. To the only king who is going to save you. The hope of eternity and the presence of God is found in Christ alone. So whether today is the day of your first surrender to Jesus Christ, where you fall to your knees and say, I have wrecked my life. I've become proficient and efficient of messing things up. I need you. If this is the first day that you cry out to Jesus as your king, we rejoice and we celebrate with you and with the angels in heaven. If this is the 101st day where you fall to your knees and surrender, I pray that your spirit is renewed for the king who died for you, the only king worthy of your life, the only king worthy of your worship.